What is going on, everybody? Raj Galardi back with you, bringing another episode of The Call to Violence in Your Life. Boy, am I fucking jacked right now. It is uh, UFC 259 fight week. We are days away uh, from the triple headliner here. We got uh, Petr Jan taking on Aljermaine Sterling. Uh, the dual champ, Amanda Nunes, taking on Megan Anderson. And we got... Uh, Israel Odyssey, man, I'm so excited. I can't even get everything out um, flowingly and correctly. Uh, like six shots of uh, espresso doesn't help either. I'm fucking buzzing right now, guys. But anyways, we got Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion of the world, going up to 205 to take on Jan Blakowicz. Trying to become the next double champ. Trying to become the fourth person to do it simultaneously while holding another belt. Holy shit, guys, here we are. Let's get right into everything. Um, I mean, this card is stacked top to bottom. Let's bring it up here. Um, I'm going to, uh, on the early prelims, I mean, we got names. Tim Elliott. Um, we got a bunch of new guys coming up. We got Jake Matthews on there. Um, on the televised prelim card, we got Kai Kara France. Uh, we got Joseph B., Trying to, uh, you know, rebound after those two bad fights with uh, Davidson Figueroa. We got Askar. He's taking on Askar Askarov. We got Sonya Dawn taking up uh, the young kid, Kyler Phillips. That should be a great bantamweight fight. And then we got Dominic Cruz taking on Casey Kenny. And Dominic Cruz here is, uh, you know, trying to rebound from uh, his title loss to Henry Cejudo um, in May. Um, so let's let's start with that one. Let's break that one down first. So, you know, Casey Kenny. Uh, young up-and-comer, making Bantamweight extremely, you know, or in the uh, extremely competitive, exciting Bantamweight division. And uh, this is going to be an interesting fight for Dom because, um, you know, a lot of people are counting, you know, Dom's definitely the underdog coming into this. And he, and what's funny is usually it's the young up-and-comer who has something to prove. But in this case, it's Dom. And, you know, he's kind of in this funny spot because... You know, a lot of people are holding in what are holding to him what happened in the Henry Cejudo fight, but people got to recognize, you know, he jumped right into a title fight, um, you know, with like a three year layoff. I believe, you know, he fought uh, Cody Garbrandt at the end of 2016 and then fought uh, Henry Cejudo May of 2020. Um, so, you know, that was a, that's a giant layoff to come right back into a title fight. That is nuts. Um, and yeah, he you know he kind of got shut down in that fight, but you know at the same time you know Dominic Cruz is what thirty eight years old. Let's see, maybe maybe I'm uh making him too old there. No, he's thirty five. Sorry, not thirty eight. I'm sorry, Dom. Don't get mad at me. I know how hard you go in the paint with stuff like that, but uh, no, he's thirty five. I think he's going to be thirty six here soon. Um, you know, obviously in the twilight of his career, but also you know, there's been so much. Uh, so much here give me one second sorry about that guys uh my sister decided she wanted to interrupt the recording to let me know about my son's birth astrology chart bullshit so yeah she just got a dominant cruise lashing um for me but anyways let's get back on track here um so pretty much what i was gonna get at is that um you know for so long dominant cruise had this style that nobody could figure out i mean it took team alpha male what um, shit, it seemed like fucking eternity, but, um, you know, it took them a really long time, uh, and a lot of tries in order to get somebody, uh, to, you know, um, execute a great game plan and figure out Dominic Cruz. 
Um, and since then, you know, there's a lot, a lot of footage on him. So I feel like, you know, unless he's constantly evolving in the gym, which I feel like at his age and at that weight class, it's kind of hard to do. You know, it's a, that's definitely a young man's division. Um, but if anybody can do it, it's Dominic Cruz. But, you know, it's kind of hard. Um, so pretty much what I'm getting at is that, um, you know, the, since there is a lot of footage on him, it's going to be, you know, pretty easy to figure out, you know, his setups, his breaks, you know, where where he tends to engage and stuff like that. And if you uh, pay attention to how Cejudo fought him, he pretty much mixed the two best performances against Dominic, and he kind of formed a game plan around that. And he looked at the TJ fight, and he looked at what TJ did well, even though TJ ended up uh, you know, losing that decision. And then he looked at what Cody did. And what both of those guys did, what, what he took away from both of those fights is he used um, – TJ's leg kicks, which were really effective late in that Dominic fight, or in, in the Cruz fight um, with TJ. And so he started early with the kicks instead of late. And then what he learned from the Cody fight is that is don't force your attacks on Dominic. Wait for him to engage with you and then you counter. So a mix of his countering and his leg kicks, it just, you know fucking bulldozed Dominic Cruz, and yeah, there's a lot of issues with the stoppage, and I believe it was stopped a little bit early, but I don't, I mean, it's tough because Dominic is one of those guys who, you know, kind of adapts uh, and learns as he goes, so who's to say, you know, if he would have, um, you know, if he would have changed up his game a little bit, but, um, you know, it's kind of in the past now. Um, so we'll see kind of where he goes, uh, you know, with Kenny here and it, it's going to be telling for both guys, you know, a win for Kenny, that's going to propel him right, you know, into the top 10. He's going to get a big name fight after this high, I shouldn't say a big name, but a high ranking, uh, fight after this. And then if Dom wins, he gets thrown right back into the title picture. I mean, you know, he's not going to get a title shot right away, hopefully. Um, but it puts him right up there with another big fight, you know, um, fights for him, you know, with Jose, I don't really want to see another Uriah fight. Maybe a rematch with TJ, rematch with Cody. You know, there, there's big fights for him if he can get past uh, Casey Kenny here. Um, so I'm really excited to see that fight. But then on to the main card, we got, um, let's see, we got uh, two, two really big fights in both divisions here, in their respective divisions. So we're starting off with uh, Tiago Santos and Alexander uh, Raddick. And this is a big fight for 205. Um, you know, Santos is coming back, here. he came back, had his, uh, comeback fight against, uh, Glover Teixeira, had his, had some really good moments in that fight, but, you know, overall, Glover came through and just, you know, dominated him, uh, and I believe ended up getting the finish, right, ended up choking him out, can't even remember anymore, let me see, so many fucking fights, yeah, ended up getting the, getting the, the late, uh, third, or the early, um, third round submission, excuse me, guys, but, um, you know, uh, that, that was going to be a tough fight for, uh, Santos to come back to regardless. I mean, he had double knee surgery. He had that great fight with John Jones, but you, you injuries like that, and especially rehabbing after having those kind of injuries, you know, you, you, it, it's hard to have confidence in your body. And I don't, I'm not sure what his training was like coming up to it, but you know, you don't really know until you get in there and I'm sure for him, you know, he had a lot to figure out, and so maybe he comes into this fight, and he knows where he stands with his injuries, with his body, and what it's capable of, so maybe he's a little bit more confident in himself, 
Um, you know, conditioning could have been a factor, not being, you know, not again, not being totally confident where his legs are. Um, but this is another tough fight, you know, coming back on. Um, you know, Raddick is riding a, a, a huge high right now. You know, he had that win over um, Anthony Smith. You know, it was his only win of the year, but... But, um, you know, I'm really interested to see how both guys look here because both of these guys could get put right up into the, you know, upper echelon of the of the division with a win here. Um, both guys obviously still have a lot of work to do, but um, excited to see what happens. Uh, it, you know, it could be a really, really tentative fight. Sometimes Raddick doesn't have the most exciting style. And, you know, standing opposite him is a guy who all, all he knows is really offense. Like, he just pushes forward. But, again... You know, uh, we don't really know where his head's at and where his confidence is at with his body. Um, you know, does Santos just go for broke early and feel like that's all he's got and then gas and then Raddick kind of just makes it a slow potting fight after? Um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but after that, we got Drew Dober taking on Islam Makachev. And Makachev here obviously is supposed to be the uh, second coming of uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and the next boogeyman over um, 155, supposedly. I mean, dude, if you listen to anybody out of AKA who has any affiliation with AKA, um, whether it's all of the the uh, Dagestanian Russian guys, uh, all of the old heads at AKA, like anybody, they all say Islam is the, you know, the way they talk about him is like he's the second coming of Christ. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are counting... Uh, Drew Dober out of this fight, but dude, Drew Dober is fucking stacked. Great in shape, athlete, fucking dime piece of a dude. Um, both guys are southpaws, but I feel like Dober definitely has a lot more power. I mean, uh, his left hand is just a fucking cannon. Um, whenever he touches somebody with that left hand, they go down or they get stopped. Um, and Drew, I mean, I mean, he's got a left hand, but he also has a right hand. Um, the way he measures, guys almost get stuck by his right hand and they freeze and then he just blasts them, um, coming over the top with his left hand and, uh, you know, I think he's on a three fight KO streak, um, over some really good guys like Alexander Hernandez. Um, and so, you know, this is, uh, this is a step down from Makachev because he was supposed to fight Dos Anjos. So this is a step down in terms of name and, you know, where a win over Dos Anjos could have got him. But, you know, um, Dober's going to make this a fucking fight, guys. I mean, Islam might go in there and fucking just dominate him. But on, on paper, this definitely, uh, or not on paper, but stylistically, this could be a this could be a rough night. I'm really interested to see what happens. And obviously, after this, I wonder who Islam, if he wins, who he gets matched up with next. But uh, don't be surprised, guys. Don't be surprised if, uh, you know, if Dober goes in there and catches him and, you know, maybe not gets him out of there, but maybe, you know, at least puts him in some trouble. Um, really interested in that fight. Really, really, really interested in that fight. Um, you know what? Next up, we got uh, Petter Jan and Aljermaine Sterling. But I'm actually going to save this for the very end because, to me, the, the, this is the main event. Um, yeah, you got a little more high profile of a fight in the, in the main event just due to, you know, Adesanya's rise and, you know, what he's trying to achieve and stakes and all that. But to me, um, that Bantamweight fight is just fucking money, guys. Like that, you know, if you're, if you're a hardcore MMA fan, that fight really has everything. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to get to that in a minute. So I'm going to skip to, uh, Amanda Nunes and, um, 
and Megan Anderson. And, you know, um, I'm glad that they threw this fight on, on, on this kind of a card because it's a nice kind of just little like side piece action. You know, on this on, on its own, this fight really doesn't do a lot. But, you know, uh, mixed into this card, you know, it definitely elevates the profile of it. Um, I just don't see where Megan wins. I mean, she's got the size and she has the length and she kind of has the grit, but I just don't really see anything in her game where she can pose any problems for Amanda. I mean, yeah, she could catch her. You know, I, I've seen crazier things in this game happen, but... Um, man, I feel like just not too long ago, Holly Holm was out grappling her and out muscling her and Holly's even smaller than Amanda. Um, you know, I know Holly Holm kind of, uh, has fluctuated between 135 and 145 too, just like Amanda has. But, um, I mean, go back and watch that Megan Anderson fight with Holly Holm. Holly Holm was just pushing her up against the fence, got good takedowns and totally out grappled her. Um, and so I feel like, man, if fucking Holly Holm can do that, Amanda, Amanda's going to be able to do whatever the fuck she wants. Um, that might be ignorant on my part and, you know, really discounting, um, you know, what Megan brings to the table. But I, I just don't really see where um, where uh, Amanda's, um, you know, kind of where her shortfalls are in this matchup. Um, but the crazy thing is, is like on the Amanda side is, where the hell does she go after this? I mean... I don't think there's anybody else in 145 for her to fight. I mean, the main, like she's gone through all the mainstays. Um, you know, th this might be uh, this might be it for that 145 pound division. I mean, you got to look at it like this: if um, you know, if Amanda wins, even if I just don't see. I mean, I don't see the UFC bringing in any other 145ers. Um, for the most part, Bellator has the rest of them. Uh, you know, girls like Julia Budd, obviously Cyborg, and, and you know, they, they kind of have a fresher 145-pound division. And when I say fresher, I mean they got maybe like three or four more girls. I'm not saying it's totally stacked or, or anything like that, but they do have a, um, a more uh, lively 145-pound division. Um, so even with the win here, I, I, I could see them folding this. Um, and, you know, obviously maybe they don't just because of uh, just because of the marketability part of, you know, being a, a dual champ. So maybe they just let Amanda hold on to that belt until they until she retires. Um, but I, I definitely think this is probably going to be her last fight at 145. But then even looking at 135, let's look real quick. Let's look at these rankings at 135 pounds. I don't think there's anybody even in a 10-mile radius of where Amanda's at right now. Let's see, let's see, women's pound for pound. Yeah, I mean, Jermaine Durandamy is number one. Holly Holmes, number two. She's got two wins over Durandamy. She's got a first-round knockout over Holly Holm. Got Aspen Ladd at number three. I don't think Aspen Ladd does anything. Got Irene Aldana. She just lost to Holly Holm. You got Kunitskaya. I think she got that gifted decision but I, the other weekend. I mean, Juliana Pena is kind of, you know, making some noise, but Durandamy just choked her out. You got Caitlin Vieira. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of cleaned this shit out too, guys. Um, but l l let's look at Amanda real quick. She's beaten everybody who's held any, or who's held the belt in both 135 and 145, and she also has two wins over the 125-pound champ. Like, what are you going to do with this girl? What are you going to do? She's been the champ now for what five six years. 
She's cleaned everybody out, and she and she's made it look easy. The only person to really give her any trouble is Shevchenko, and I I mean I guess if Shevchenko can get past, um, who the hell did she just? Who the hell did they just? Oh, Jessica Andrade. Oh God, that's gonna be a great fight. Ooh, I can't wait for that fight. But you know, we'll wait to break that down when it gets a little bit closer. But you know, if uh, if Shevchenko gets past um, Andrade, the UFC is gonna be forced to do a third fight at 135 probably. That's going to be the only fight for both girls. Because there's nobody else at 125 and at 135 and 140. Like, it, it, it's a wasteland. Those girls have come in and just obliterated everybody. Um, and a lot of people a lot of people thought, you know, Shevchenko won that last fight. So I think, um, you know, now kind of talking through this, I, I think after this, it's it, there's going to be a lot riding on Shevchenko and Andrade. Um, and then, man, how crazy would it be if Andrade goes in there you know, ends up beating Shevchenko, and then Shevchenko and Andrade end up having this, um, you know, kind of rivalry, you know, could go into a trilogy if it, they, if, you know, I'm guessing Shevchenko would get an automatic rematch, so then what do you do with Nunes at that point, if uh, Shevchenko has all this uh, business with Andrade or, you know, another 125-pound contender, you know, could we, could that be the end of Nunes, and she just goes out on top, and then, you know, She's just she just goes down as the greatest of all time at women because if that happens it's gonna be a hard 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 mountain to, or a, a big mountain to climb if for females in the future to you know top this resume I mean let's see Amanda Nunes again she's beaten Jermaine Durandamy who was technically the first 145 pound champ she beat Holly Holm who was the 135 pound champ um. She knocked out Rousey, 135-pound champ. Uh, she took the belt from Misha, so that's all of the the uh, all of the chicks there. She knocked out Cyborg. That was the only other 145-pound champ. And I would love, I would love to see a rematch. And I, we've talked about this before, but I would love to see a rematch with with Cyborg. I hated the way Cyborg fought in that fight. She just went fucking guns bl- And I mean, like, I mean, you can't really fault her. It's it, it got her all the way through to that point. Um, but I just thought she fought so stupid in that fight. She's even talked about it since, saying how stupid she fought in that fight. Um, so I, w- I would love to see a rematch, but we're never going to see that. UFC is never going to... It doesn't even make sense for the UFC to put Cyborg in that kind of position again, even after you know all their bullshit that they went through um, with all the bickering and shit. So I definitely... Um, I don't know what's going to happen for Amanda, but I expect her to... Put on a pretty devastating performance against Megan here, um, but then man, that 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 brings us to our uh, to our main event here. Um, we got Israel Adesanya going up to two hundred five pounds, taking on Jan Blahovich. and you know a lot of people are favoring Izzy here just because of um, it, it, you know what's crazy? It's like there's this weird we have uh, we have this weird perception with fighters who you know come in and they and they uh, look invincible, right? Like, we have a hard time separating, um, we have a hard time separating styles from the person, right? Like, just because Adesanya has just been coming in, like, he took the UFC by storm, right? Like, he came in, he was fighting back to back to back to back, have all these crazy fights, all these crazy highlights, you know, looking, you know, like the, you know, a lot. everyone was calling him the new Anderson Silva and, you know, all this whatnot. And um, then they look over at Blahovich and they go, oh, yeah, this should be, you know, easy work for Adesanya. 
and everyone goes, oh, you know, Blahovich was like two and four in his first six UFC fights and and everything like that. But I'm not one of those guys. I'm one of those guys who looks at like oh, those old early setbacks is what made those is what made Blahovich today. Um, you know, he's learned from all of that. He's put the time in the gym, and it's paying off for him. Um, you know, he is kind of late in his career. You know, he's 30. He became the champ at 38. You know, um, I don't know how how old Couture was the last time uh, he won the belt at 205. But, you know, I, I want to say that Blahovich is uh, one of the um, one of the older guys to win the belt at 205. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if that's, that's you know, that's something on his side or something against him. But, you know, everything's kind of coming at, at, to a peak for him now. And so you you can't you can't compare his earlier loss you can't put those into the equation against him at this point of his career if you uh, if I'm articulating that correctly like you can't use those early losses against him uh, I feel like the because he's not the same guy at all um, and a lot of those losses he's come come back and rectified like I, he might have the record for most uh, rematch wins when he's rematch the guy that he's lost to um i mean let's see here let's see here because i mean he lost to jimmy manua ended up coming back and had a crazy fight with him and beat him lost to Corey. uh ended up knocking him out uh yeah so he's got a great he's got a good history of coming back and beating guys that usually get up on him um, yeah, look, look, Sokaju, he lost, and back in KSW, lost to Sokaju, came back and beat Sokaju. Um, yeah, uh, Jimmy Manoa, lost to him by decision, came back, uh, ended up beating him, lost to Corey Anderson by decision, ended up knocking his fucking head off the other day. What was that? Uh, yeah, last February, um, so about a year ago. So he does really good, obviously. Uh, he learns from his mistakes is pretty much what I'm getting at here. Um... Did he fight Santos twice, or did he just get knocked out by him? Oh, no, he didn't used to fight up middleweight. That's right. Okay. Um, so pretty much what I'm getting at here is this dude is is always evolving, and he's always learning. So those early losses in his career, you can't hold against him. And he's, and he's going to take all of that into this fight. Um, and then on the flip side... Um, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been wondering this for a while, kind of leading up to this fight is... You know, UFC back in the day was always so against these super fights, these champ versus champ fights. Um, they would say like, oh, we don't want to hold up two divisions like that. It's not good. It's, you know, all this crazy shit. Like the only time they really talked about it was with uh, was with Anderson and um, was with Anderson, GSP. And then uh, they talked about it a little bit with Jones and Velasquez back in the day. Um, but you know, now it seems like a guy gets one title defense, two title defenses, and you know, all of a sudden they're like, oh, let's uh, throw him in there with the next guy up. Um, so I, I wonder why they changed their course here. You know, does it have to do with them trying to have like the Connor effect because they saw what it did to Connor's, you know, star power, marketability? Which to me, I don't know if that really makes sense because Connor was already a star before all that shit happened. So I don't know how much of you know, having two UFC belts makes you more marketable in the sense of, you know, mainstream. Uh, I mean, I guess so just because they can, like, push you on ESPN now. Um, 
So I, I wonder if this is like a lack of stars thing, if this just has to do with Israel. Um, you know, if, uh, if, uh, I could be one of those, uh, those fans or, you know, one of those media members, um, you know, to ask Dana that, that'd probably be my first question is, well, you know, what made you guys change your, uh, your, um, your mindset or your, you know, your game plan when it comes to super fights like this and, uh, champ versus champ fights. Um, cause again, they used to be totally against this. Um, and then also like, is this for Israel, you know, is, is, does he see something in Jan's game where he feels like he can exploit it? Cause, um, you know, I, you know, if Jones was the champ, would he have jumped up this quick? Because I remember he was saying, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna Canelo me, you're not gonna get me too early. But then it seems like as soon as Jones moved up, he was like, cool, I'll go take that light heavyweight belt. And I'm not saying he's he's you know running away from Jones at all. I'm just I'm just pointing out the timeline of events here. Um, again, I'm not one of these fucking guys who believes fighters are scared of other fighters. You know, they, they all got to get in the cage with somebody, right? It doesn't really matter who it's against. Um, these guys aren't scared of anybody. Um, shit, now I forgot what I thought of what was trying to articulate here, man. I'm, I, I just got Aljamain Sterling and Pedrion just rolling through my mind still. Um, but yeah, is this, is this, um, you know, is this something that Israel sees in Yan that he can exploit? Um, cause again, I don't know if, you know, if DC or Jones was the champ right now, I don't know if he would do this. And I, you know, I don't even think, I don't, it doesn't sound like Israel is even going to defend this light heavyweight belt. It might be a one and done thing. Um, you know, he's kind of clean. He's almost cleaned out middleweight. And the only thing really left for him down there is, you know, maybe a fight with Till, if Till can get back on track. Um, you know, the Whitaker fight is there and, and Whitaker's almost undeniable at this point. Um, at 185, I mean, he's clear. He's, he's clearing everybody out again, uh, and, and making it look uh, relatively easy. I mean, uh, destroyed cannon or not destroyed cannoneer, but I mean, definitely beat him. Put, you know, did work against Till too. So if he can beat uh, Costa, I mean, he just took out the three the three next guys uh, at middleweight. So it's he's going to be undeniable here at a certain point. Um, but back focusing on, on, on these two guys. Um, I think a lot of people think Jan's going to be too slow for Israel and his game just isn't that, um, it's not up to par with Israel. But, uh, if you guys go look at Jan, Jan can, Jan's got, got a lot of ways to win this fight. Um, go back and look how he's won his last few fights. He's really, really good at exchanging kind of in the chaos. Go back and watch the Reyes fight. Go back and watch the Corey fight. He's very good at countering when you commit to something, whether it's a right hand, a left hand, a jab, like whatever it is, he's really good about getting, you know, three, four punches off. He doesn't seem like a fast guy, but man, he throw like he throws quick and it has a lot of power. Um, I mean, how he ended up rocking Reyes was I, I want to say because Reyes stands southpaw. I want to say Reyes threw through a check hook maybe, and Jan just lit him up lit him up quick with a left hand and then a right and it wobbled him. And then same thing with Corey. Corey was coming in with that leg kick and then he just came in with a right hand. So Yana has really good counters and you know, it's hard to say because Israel is such a next level striker. So, you know, we'll kind of see how he looks against Israel there. But then same thing, you know, and then on the flip side too, um, 
you know, everyone's like, oh, Jan's only way to win is uh, pushing, uh, you know, out grappling Israel. But go back and watch Israel's fights. You know, again, there's going to be a size difference here. But go back and watch Israel's fights against wrestlers. He does really good against the cage work. Um, his head's always in the right place. His hips are always in the right place. He immediately goes for the wrist, which guys need to learn. If you're gonna, if guys are gonna hold you up against the fence, you gotta get, uh, you gotta fight the wrist. You gotta get good wrist control against the guy pushing you in there. Because if you can't get the leverage like that, he's not gonna be able to get a takedown. Um, Again, yeah, Israel's really good at forcing the head down. Um, he's really good at keeping his head in the right position, again, to you know not let the other guy get the leverage on him. Um, but Israel's problem, and you know, maybe maybe Jan's camp has noticed this, but when Israel breaks, um, when he when he can get a clinch break off the fence, he tends to exit with his hands down. And I don't know if that's to set up something else, but if you go go back and watch against Brunson, if you go back and watch against, um, I want to say Romero. Uh, there's been a couple fights though of Adesanya's when uh, maybe Tavares too. Um, but when he when he's able to break off the cage, he he drops his hands and exit exits uh, very nonchalantly. Um, and so maybe maybe you know Jan's noticed that, and so I would keep an eye on that for uh, for Jan if if Israel gets a break or if there's a break in the clinch up against the fence or even out in the open um, that he lands a that he lands a big power uh, power shot, kind of like how he did with Rockhold. Um, so I'm going to be really really interested to see these clinch exchanges if it gets there, how Jan exits out of the clinch and how Israel exits out of the clinch. Um, yeah, yeah, that's you know that's kind of my take on this fight. Um, you know, is and Israel has shown you know off of his back. If if Jan does take him down, he's no slouch on the on his back. I mean, he almost hit uh, Kelvin with that triangle. Um, he's got really good sweeps. You know, he's uh, Israel's good everywhere. Um, and so I, I'm really interested to see. You know, kind of. Um, to me, it's really that like young man versus the not the old dinosaur, but the kind of like uh, sustained vet here. Um, and I'm kind of eager to see, you know, who pulls out, does the, the, the veteranness and the, um, kind of, what's the best way to describe Jan? Uh, I, the best way to describe him is just experience and season, right? So do, do, does his experience in that octagon against everybody and being in bad places, being at great places, does that give him the edge ultimately over Adesanya? Or is Adesanya just on this train that's unstoppable at the moment? Um, but yeah, now circling back to uh, Petter Jan and Aljamain Sterling, I, I want to... Um, I want to take a quick little uh, deep dive uh, through the history of 135 pounds because I feel like it's really, really important um, kind of for the, the, the stakes of this fight and kind of where 135 kind of was going and then for whatever reason kind of took a drop off uh, for a minute. Even though like the the talent and and uh, everything was building, there was this weird promotional drop off and um, it kind of got me, it, it kind of got me a little bit nostalgic. Um, so I kind of did, a, uh, you know, just kind of going through history a little bit, but you know, uh, the Bantamweight division was brought to life during the WC era and the WEC shined a light on the lighter weight classes at a time where, you know, no major MMA promotion really had anything below 155 pounds and sometimes, and even for a time, 170, 
135 pounds uh, back in the WEC had fucking killers like Miguel Torres, who is kind of like the Anderson Silva at 135 pounds. Like nobody could touch him. He had all of these title defenses. Um, you know, he had, you had scrappy guys like Antonio Benuelos. Um, Eddie Wineland, I think, was the first champ at 135 pounds there. And, you know, he was a savage. You had these crazy fucking Midwesterners, fucking like Brian Bulls. He's kind of like fucking just tough farm boys like Brian Bulls. You had Takei Mizugaki. And you had a bunch of other guys, you know, who really put 135 pounds on the map. And, you know, the next wave of guys coming after that, that kind of like really made uh, 135 pounds super deep. Um, and, and we're talking about like over 10 years ago, guys, um, way over 10 years ago, but then you had this next wave of the Joseph Benavidez, uh, Demetrius Johnson, uh, Brad Pickett was even a, a guy at 135 pounds in the early days. That was, uh, you know, uh, you know, really, uh, uh, kind of like a top prospect. And, uh, you know, the face of, of WEC was obviously Uriah Faber, um, with all of his fights at 145 pounds. And he had a big lengthy title reign at 145 pounds. But after, uh, you know, his uh, two losses to Mike Brown and getting shut down by uh, Jose Aldo, you know, he made that drop down 135 pounds, which made that division even, you know, even crazier. And, um, you know, WEC, you know, for us fight fans back in the day, it was a great addition to the UFC programming. Um you know, at the time, you know, UFC maybe had, you know, maybe one event, two events a month, if that, um, you know, it was usually like a fight night, maybe, um, and then obviously we had like one pay-per-view a month, so kind of getting uh, WEC events sprinkled in there uh, throughout the year always, um, you know, you know, at that time, like, every, fight fans were just hungry for MMA, um, and so to get treated with, with, uh, you know, the lighter guys with WEC, it was, it was always a big deal. If you were a hardcore fan, like WEC events, um, you know, they may have not had the biggest names, but they, they were always great. Like, I can't remember a bad WEC card. Um, but, um, you know, um, I'm trying to figure out where I was going with this, but you know, they, they kind of filled that void when there was, uh, you know, if it was kind of a long period in between UFC events, the WEC really kind of filled that void. Uh, but you know, when the UFC folded the promotion in 2010 and incorporated the 145 and 135 pound of the UFC, um, you know, the WEC guys kind of took everything by storm. Um, you know, the WEC's last event was co-headlined uh, by Dominic Cruz. And, you know, he easily beat an always game, Scott Jorgensen. And I believe that was his second title defense at 135 pounds. His first one was against Joey B. Um, and, uh, you know, after uh, the WC was dissolved, you know, they they had uh, Dominic Cruz just come over. And he was just, uh, because he was the champ over there, they just made him the UFC uh, inaugural Bantamweight champ as well. And, you know, his... Um, they uh, they kind of cashed in, and because he had this rivalry with Uriah Faber, they just went ahead and made that fight. Uh, uh, um, they they went ahead and booked that fight, but they made it the main event on the UFC's July uh, pay per view, which is uh, it's not so much anymore. But for a long time, that uh, that July pay per view was like a marquee event for them. Um, I can't remember if this was before uh, they started doing the. Um, the big like fan expos or not, but um, if they were doing them, this would have been around the you know this would have been the fight expo UFC card. Um, 
So that means, you know, they, they, they cashed in on, on, uh, on 135 pounds. Like they, they treated it like it was a big deal and that fight fans should be paying attention, uh, to these, to these 135 pound guys. Um, uh, let me see where I was going, but then, you know, also, uh, uh, the UFC, um, I believe like shortly after they dissolved uh, the WEC, the UFC put them in the uh, 135 and 145 pound weight class on the, I'm pretty sure it was the following season of the Ultimate Fighter after they, uh, uh, after they dissolved the promotion. So I, I want to say that was, uh, it was uh, season 14 and, um, you know, this was around the time that the kind of the first era of, uh, you know, kind of the ultimate fighter being played out, but now with two new weight classes, it kind of, uh, kind of opened things up a little bit. And, uh, you know, that I, I, that was like one of the last entertaining seasons of the ultimate fighter for me. And again, the UFC kind of like put everything into this. They signed Jason Mayhem Miller, um, and they pitted him against Michael Bisbing. So it's two big brash coaches, a lot of drama, they brought in uh, Jason Mayhem Miller, and he had the, you know his big bully beatdown series on MTV, so he was already used to kind of the reality TV aspect. Uh, so it made for like you know fun TV drama. But then, dude, um, those uh, let me see here real quick. I want to see who is uh, uh, on that. Um, who is on that season? I want to get the full list because I could, I mean, I can name. Yeah, so we got, okay, obviously TJ Dillashaw, former cha uh, future champ, John Dodson. Uh, you know, he ultimately, his best work was down at 125 pounds, fighting for the belt twice there. Um, you had guys like Johnny Bedford, who's making a name for himself in uh, bare knuckle boxing, but, you know, um, had a great run in the UFC as well. Carson Beebe was on there, Louis Galdino. Um, you know, and then you kind of, uh, you, you fast, or so it's like, you know, 135 and 145, they got, you know, big pushes there. And then you, you know, you fast forward a little bit and you got TJ and his former teammate, um, and, you know, at the time, current, uh, Bantamweight champ, uh, you know, you had TJ and, uh, Cody Garbrandt, you know, coaching the ultimate fighter, um, kind of playing into their drama too. Um, and, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, brought out the best of 135 pounds and like what they were kind of capable of too at that period. And that was just a few years ago. And so why I'm bringing all this up is because there is such a rich history with 135 pounds between their talent and it's always had great fights. Um, and, but for whatever reason, things kind of slowed down once TJ and Cody rematched. Um, you have seemed like super eager once Cody got that belt uh, for him to be the champ. Um, even after TJ, you know, beat him twice. Um, and, you know, injuries kind of plagued Cody once he got the belt. Um, and it kind of kept him on ice for a while. And, you know, it's still been kind of even now he's dealing with the whole COVID thing. So it's a whole nother issue with, with Cody. But, but still, um, there was that whole fiasco. And then they went ahead in. I mean, and, and there was a bunch of viable contenders for TJ to fight, but then they decided to have TJ drop down and face uh, the current, the at the time, Henry Cejudo at 125 pounds for the belt. And, you know, he got, he got stopped within a minute, got busted for EPO. 
And then again, even with a viable list of contenders still at 135 pounds, they go ahead and give Cejudo the shot at 135 um, for the vacant belt. And he ended up keeping that belt on ice for almost a year. And so for whatever reason, still, the UFC since has focused on stars at 135 pounds instead of contenders. And I mean, let's look. This is evidence with this is evident with Dominic Cruz getting the crack at Cejudo. He hadn't had a fight in over three years. Uh, then Jose Aldo got a crack at it with with Petter Jan when Petter probably should have fought either Corey Sanhagen or Aljamain Sterling for the vacant belt. And so it's just crazy because still bantamweight right now it's at its peak and with so much depth in the division, you know it's kind of similar. It, it's not the same because it doesn't have the same amount of stars, but it's similar to how light heavyweight was in you know the mid to late two thousands. Um, you know you got legends now at one thirty five such as Jose Aldo, Dominic Cruz, Frankie Edgar. You got former champs who are still at the top like TJ and Cody. You got new contenders. Obviously, you know you got the um, you got the champ right now in Petter Jan. You got Aljamain Sterling. You got Corey Sandhagen. Uh, you got kind of like the gatekeeper guys like Rafael Sunsau. You got Jimmy Rivera. You got John Dodson. So you kind of got the middle of the pack guys, and then you got the young guns like Sean O'Malley and Cheeto Vera and Song Dong and you know all these guys. And then obviously you can kind of keep your eye favor somewhere in there as well. But pretty much what I'm getting at is is Bantamweight's never been shallow. Uh, it's always been a great division. And so, you know, I, I kind of hope after Saturday that we can kind of keep on, on track here with let's have top contenders fight for the belt. Let's have these guys who have just been kind of fighting everybody and who these perennial top contenders fight for the belt. Let's stop doing these one-off fights and guys coming off of losses, you know, get a shot. Um you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with TJ, and that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother topic, and I, I kind of want to circle this all back into the fight this weekend, and I don't want to get into too much other stuff. But you know, we'll see what happens with TJ coming back and stuff like that. Um, but this fight, to me, guys, it's not. It's not almost, or it's not quite as as this fight was. But it's the last time I feel like we've had a fight where it's it's really been number one, number two. Um, was uh, back when Chris Weidman fought uh, Luke Rockhold for the belt. Like at that time, both guys were coming into their into their primes, and I, you know, Petter and Aljo were still pretty young. I'm, mean, you know, they're both 27, so they're not exactly where Luke and and Weidman were. You know, they were like, um, I want to say they were like 30, 32, somewhere in that room, anywhere from like 30 to 33. So really in the prime of their careers, and both of them had, you know just terrorized the whole middleweight division leading up to each other um where you know uh Aljamain Sterling has kind of had his setbacks and you know he's kind of had the ebb and flow of his career and now it's you know he's kind of at a peak right now and you know Jan's just kind of been tearing through everybody so they haven't really had the like the uh the resume that you know Luke and uh and Weidman have but when it comes to 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 styles and when it comes to like true number one and two this is as close as the, as it gets to something like that and that's why i'm super excited and you know we always kind of get fights like this in the ufc where it's uh you know it's it's you know it's the, the top guys fighting the top guys but um a lot of things have to happen because of that where you you get fights like this where you know it, the winner of this really is the best in that division um uh 
stylistically, like, this is just a, a, an incredible fight. And, you know, a lot of people are making this, um, like, Aljamain, you know, if, uh, you know, if he, if he, like, his only way of winning is getting the takedown because Petr Jan's striking is just so far advanced. But if you look at the stats, um, I think Aljamain Sterling in his last four fights has a combined, I think, two or three takedowns. And that's including one over Sandy Hagen. Um, I think he went 0 for 8 or 0 for 11 against Pedro Munoz. Um, I think he only got one takedown against Jimmy Rivera. Um, and I know he's a, he's a good wrestler, but like his real strength is his, his jiu-jitsu and his, his grappling. But I, I don't really see where his wrestling can come into play here in terms of just, you know, shooting out in the open. You know, he's going to have to get Petr Jan against the fence and kind of, you know, work around to his back. I, I don't see Aljermaine Sterling getting a getting a free takedown here. Uh, Petr, Petr has fucking amazing takedown defense out in the open and against the fence. Um, you know, I think uh, Petr only has three takedowns against him in his whole UFC career. And uh, both two of them are against uh, John Dodson, and he got up right away with both. Got up right. He he jumped right back up with both. Um, and really, Aljamain Sterling has been winning his fights with his super unorthodox uh, striking. Um, it it kind of reminds me of John Jones back in the day, and I and I know if people have made that that correlation before, but you know it, it's not combination striking; it's single shot striking. But because he mixes it up so much, his opponents don't know what's coming. And yeah, he you know he throws in takedowns uh, in the mix there too, and he obviously like a, just what I after what I said, you know he doesn't usually get them, but it's still one more thing to think about, which kind of opens up his striking a lot more. Um, you know his uh, teep kicks up the middle, um, and he kind of mixes in low and high with his kicks, but it's also you know he has very very wide wide punches everything comes uh you know at a weird angle and wide and you can kind of get away with that with the four ounce gloves but we'll see how far he can get away with that with a guy like Petr Jan Petr Jan being much more conventional very you know very very technical and so Petr's not gonna uh, allow him to get away with shit like that um and so I'm really just I'm, I'm really curious to see uh kind of who dictates the pace here because I feel like Aljermaine Sterling is going to have to keep uh, Petter on his back foot. If Petter is the one pushing against Aljermaine Sterling, it's going to be a long night for Aljermaine. Um, Al- Aljermaine cannot be on his back foot. He's got to keep pushing Jan and keep pushing him back. And and the closer Jan is behind those double black lines uh, on the mat, the better it's going to be for him. Um, again, I don't expect Aljermaine Sterling to get a, a takedown out in the open. He's going to have to push him up against the fence, and he's going to have to figure out how to get his back. Um, that That's really the only way I see it. And I, and I actually, like, I'm favoring Aljermaine Sterling in this fight, and I know it's making it sound like uh, I'm favoring Petter, but I really do feel like Aljermaine Sterling's super awkward striking mixed with his grappling is going to be the difference here. Um and yeah, you know, um, Petter can crack, man. Petter can crack, and uh, that was Evan. And, and you know what? And he can uh, he can adapt too. And that's what you kind of saw in the Aldo fight. Um, the Aldo fight was kind of played into his favor because Aldo decided, "I'm just going to stand in front of you, and we're just going to have a Muay Thai fight going back and forth." And that's literally what they did. Like there was not a lot of footwork in that fight. Um, 
Jose Aldo stood like two feet away from him, like in perfect striking distance. And they literally, it was like watching a Muay Thai fight. If you guys ever watch, uh, you know, um, you know, like Lion Fight or anything like that, there's not a lot of footwork. It's a lot of just standing in front of each other and kind of going blow for blow, just bang, 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 bang. Or if you guys have ever trained Muay Thai, I mean, that, that there, there's like a certain rhythm uh, to Muay Thai, and that, that's kind of how that fight was. They were just going back and forth up until, uh, you know, Jan got the, the knockdown and then just fucking beat the shit out of Jose, uh, Jose, um, you know, in that turtle position. Um, but fuck, man, I, I, I can't wait for this fight. The possibilities and where this fight can go are, are fucking endless. Um, you know, Petter's no slouch on the ground either. So just because, you know, Aljamain Sterling gets a takedown or gets his back, it doesn't mean, you know, it's going to be, you know, hot lava for Jan. Um, so I expect this fight to go, I, I expect this fight to go, you know, into the later rounds for sure. Maybe somebody gets a, gets a stoppage late, but I definitely don't think you're going to see something early from either guy. This is going to be a very, very methodical, um, crazy scrambly fight. And I can't wait for it. Um, that does it for this card, guys. I'm super excited. You guys definitely have to tune in. Um, this is definitely the best fight of uh, the best card of this year. And I think it even trumps anything from last year, too. Um, so please, if you're any sort of fight fan, you got to pay attention to these fights. Uh, last week, I did a little uh, heavyweight recap. So if you guys haven't heard uh, that episode yet, go back and listen. I do kind of... You know, a little breakdown of the the heavyweight main events that have happened over the last few weeks with Derek Lewis knocking out Curtis Blades, uh, Overeem losing to Volkov, and you know, uh, uh, on the recap of this card, I'll kind of get into Junior Dos Santos and Alistair Overeem uh, getting the boot from the UFC, which um, it's kind of hard for me to deal with those. I've been watching those guys for a long time, um, but yeah, uh, super excited for this weekend. Uh, can't stop thinking about it. Make sure you guys listen to my recap. Hopefully, I can get that to you guys by Monday. Um, maybe I'll do some separate breakdowns too if anything super crazy happens. Um, so until uh, next week, guys, see ya.